0: Hello, beautifuls. Welcome to Her Sexual Space, a podcast where we create a sex-positive space to engage in empowering discussions for building relational and sexual awareness. I am your host, Janice. Today's guest is Sheila Tumbling, a professional platonic cuddler, a mental health professional and therapist, sexuality and emotional empowerment coach, and a healing facilitator. Shayla's work is empowerment-based, holistic, sex-positive, compassion-centered, and trauma-informed. And touch is one of her languages. Shayla uh, recently launched her company, Cuddle Sage. And the mission of her company is to protect and heal Black bodies using the power of touch and cuddle therapy, to decolonize non-sexual intimate touch, and to offer Black and Indigenous people of color touch therapists, a safe space to learn and grow their practice. I am so excited about this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Shayla. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm doing well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, When I connected with you, I had mentioned that um, I I recently became familiar with uh, cuddling, professional cuddlers. Actually, it was last year. I had posted uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I had posted um, just some ideas for singles um, in the middle of a pandemic. Because I know last year, I imagine was a really tough year for singles, people who are actively dated or had whatever types of relationships. I believe some of that was actually put on pause. So I had shared... Um, just some ideas and then cuddling was one of those things. Um, I had talked about getting regular massages, getting a professional hair wash or scalp massages, um, asking a friend to cuddle, getting a pet, um, hugging friends and families. And also like, touching self self self-pleasuring and I had also included hire a professional cuddler and um I got some amazing feedback (laughs) maybe my timing was off because we were in the middle of a pandemic but I believe it created the awareness for some people that this is actually a profession so just tell us a little bit about yourself and just how you got into this space
1: yeah so I um as you mentioned in my my bio I'm a therapist um and I'm complete. I'm doing some additional training now or I'm uh it's always whatever trying to describe myself right so I'm completing another degree my final degree mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm completing my final degree in psychology so I'm getting my doctorate now in psychology and I'll be done Good see you thank you uh, I'll be done by the time this year is over well by the end oh of the
0: God. summer that's
1: exciting! Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. So I'll be um uh, have my doctorate in counseling psychology. Finally, it has been a mm-hmm. long time coming. I've been working on this one for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of on my journey of getting, like, in between my master's degree and in the midst of getting my doctorate degree, I was um made aware of the concept of cuddling as a uh, like a profession. Mm-hmm. and um just some of my own personal life experiences really led me to um consider um looking at integrating that into part of the work that I do in the world mm-hmm. and offer people and yeah. so i um began to do some research and moved into that space professionally about 2014 i think mm. um begin a bit of professionally like um adding to the work that I do, that I am a professional cuddler and offering services for people.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. So I know we jump straight into work, but um, how do you identify in the world? Um, what are, how do you show up?
1: Um, so I identify as a cisgender Black woman. Um, I identify as polyamorous even though i um it, yeah i identify as polyamorous <laughs>
0: okay.
1: um I, yeah i identify as queer and um southern <laughs> I'm, from, <laughs> I'm from the deep south
0: what a um, beautiful mix <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and a little bit of um very non traditional in my mind kind of non traditional radical but then I, I think in some of the spaces i'm in a lot of my friends and community are more radical than me but i think in some of the spaces i've come out of mm. when people look at me they probably consider me very radical <laughs> yeah
0: i i can i can relate to that suddenly <laughs> i can relate <laughs> so you know so you're just sharing a little bit about how you were able to add this additional service to to your work in mental health and i'm wondering for you when did you identify this gap when did it click for you that people need this
1: Mm -hmm. um it was probably around like 2014 so Um, When I was in my doctorate program, I hit a major wall. I caught, like, a wall, like a major hiccup in my training, and I had to take a step back. And right before that happened, I was introduced to the concept of cuddling uh, professionally. And uh, for me, hmm, there's this way that I, like, move in life that is, I don't know, it is more... It's just how I move in life. And so me, for me, I identify it as being like uh, kind of moving with spirit or spiritually in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, there are times when I feel like things and experiences are highlighted for me. So they stand out kind of like a spotlight has been sh- like shine, shone on them. Yeah. And that happened for me with cuddling. So I was in the mm-hmm. process of some things in my doctor program, um, had been on an internship. In Seattle, Washington, right before i got gone on the internship, I think in some space I was in, so I'm in a few different spaces, like some spiritual spaces, some um, like sex ed, sexuality spaces, um, um, academic psychology spaces, those types of things. So I think in one of my spaces before I had moved to Seattle to do an internship, someone had mentioned, oh, like cuddling is a, a professional thing, right? And so I seen that and uh, was looking at some of the work that some people were doing but I didn't think too much about it when I came back um to my program to do some some like recalibration work there and figure out like what my next steps were uh in that process I was having to look at doing some non-traditional stuff in my training as far as um if I was going to continue, I'd take a break from my training, finding another internship place to go to, and those types of things, and talking to my program and like, okay, what are my next moves? What am I gonna do? And so when I came back, the this concept of cuddling came up again. I forget where it was, like the it came across my, like say it came across my desk again, right? So that was spotlight number two. And then I forget the exact moment that once more it came across my my um like into my purview and it was like okay spotlight number three and so for me sometimes Mm -hmm. three can be a very powerful number it's about the third time that I saw it and it came up for me I was like huh I feel like this is a sign I need to look more into this and so I was like well let me look into this um this thing of cuddling and see what's going on with it And so I began to go um, do some research and I I was finding that there were um, budding, cuddling um, organizations or practices popping up all over the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some people I was seeing who had a lot of national press attention um, because of their work in cuddling. So that they were kind of building their brands and letting this form of um, like healing or this form of connection. This work, they were um, getting more national spotlight on it. And so uh, as I began to look more into it, I was like, huh, I feel like this may be an area that could be important for me to get into. And then as I thought about my own life and thought about my own experiences, I recognized that I had been engaging in cuddling art um, or, or needing the service myself when I was at different places in my life. And I had figured out ways to receive like cuddling support, you know, finding like cuddle buddies unofficially. And I didn't know that was yeah. a thing of the term. But I as I did like a um a retrospective look into my life, I recognized like, oh, I've actually been engaging in cuddling (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and seeking people out for cuddling, even though I didn't know that's what this was called or what I uh, needed for like several years prior to me being introduced to as a concept as a professional business. And so it was then, so all those combinations of things. Um, and then I was talking to a good friend of mine and I, again, I mentioned spirit, right? So I, I, I have a, a very, um, strong understanding and belief that spirit <laughs> communicates to me, um, in different ways through people and information and stuff like that. So, uh, a good friend was talking to me and I just, um, they were like, Hey, have you thought about, cause I was telling them about, you know, cuddling and they were like, well, maybe you could do this as like a business and maybe you could take this, um, with you as you move forward, because I was planning on uh, leaving. I was in Nashville and planning on going to um, New York to try to finish this training for my degree. Yeah. And they were like, maybe you could take it with you and launch it. And maybe you could go to Atlanta because I had connections in Atlanta at the time. And they were like, you know, Atlanta's more progressive than Nashville. And that could be a good place. I was like, <laughs> For sure. You know, what? Let, me, let me really consider that. And I may do that. And that's what ended up happening. I reached out to my connections in Atlanta. I was like, hey, I want to move there in the process. My idea was I'm going to move there launch this business and I'm moving to New York so I can finish, um, this work I need to do on this degree, but this business will allow me to, you know, fund myself as a graduate student and to
0: offer this service to people. Mm -hmm. That is, oh, yeah, I, I love the strategy behind it. Um, and I think it's, it's needed. And as I, as I was reading through your profile and the website, um, I'm just thinking how many times we assess people in in therapy and I don't know how, or if we ever ask, when was the last time you were touched? I mean, as a sex therapist, um, you know, I do know that we will ask questions about intimacy, but asking someone with depression and anxiety, when was the last time you were touched? I feel like that could be such a powerful question, you know? And I wonder in your work, is that something you, you use in your assessment, or you you ask just to get an idea of how that person's human needs are being met.
1: So, interestingly enough, <laughs> um, since I am, you know, still in training for my my doctorate uh, degree, and I work in certain environments, that is not something that I have actually considered integrating, right? So I work in, um, and, you know, as a, you know, as a professional counselor yourself, like the potential to feel that when you are training, there are certain, um, ways that you have to, um, you have to move and there's certain, um, things that you have to check off in the work that you do. And so thinking about that and the training spaces I've been in a lot of times, um, that has not necessarily even felt like it was this place that I could go with clients. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll say really. And so because I work in a lot of places that feel a lot more conservative mm. and, um, there are certain ways that I've been trained. Um, and so, I have not found a way to integrate that into um the work that i have been doing with clients, and so for me, just to keep very clean lines mm-hmm. um I have not have not like done that or um even really considered doing it like right mm-hmm. now, I work at a university with college students, okay. and so Um, I feel like there would need to be, there needs to be like a lot of education, right? So I feel like there would need to be a, a a very extensive amount of education for me to provide to like my supervisors and to people who are, um, you know, working with me in the training environment to even maybe open the door to explain like why potentially I would. You know what would be the purpose and the intention of integrating this into the work that
0: I'm doing? Yeah, no. So I was actually thinking just as an assessment, but not to offer (laughs) the service because I imagine you keep those two things separate. So I was thinking like just in like in our our assessment and how we um, you know in our integrative and um, investigative questioning. um, I just wonder if that is something that you have um, you have asked before, or is it something that um, continues to inspire you. Um, cause I know a lot of people, like I see a lot of clients who, who are, who are not in relationships or they haven't been touched in so long or in so many years. Um, and I feel like even just, you know, I have had, um, persons, individuals who I have said, you know, go get a massage this weekend and, and tell me how that feels when you come back to session next time, you know, just little things like that, because I'm thinking, touch is so important, you know, and without it, um, I feel like sometimes that loneliness really creeps in and then depression and all of that. So I was just wondering like how you maybe bring it up or if it ever comes up, you know, in conversation.
1: Yeah, it hasn't really, not, um, not yet in a lot of the spaces mm-hmm. that I've been working in outside of if I'm so not in my regu- my regular therapy spaces with clients. Okay. So outside mm-hmm. of if I'm working with clients intentionally around mm-hmm. cuddling, but not with my regular therapy clients. Mm-hmm. But that is actually a really great idea. And maybe that is something that I will start doing um, with some of my clients that come in, just figuring out a way I can integrate that into my uh, like initial session with them and talking mm-hmm. to them and seeing when's the last time they've received some platonic touch or how often do they receive that mm-hmm. in their lives?
0: Yeah, because skin hunger and touch starvation are real things. And I wonder if you want to just touch on some of that for our listeners who are probably new to that idea. I mean, no one's new to that idea. We we were born <laughs> wanting to be held and touched. But to people that think that, persons who think that this is bizarre, I wonder how would you describe um, skin hunger or touch starvation?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, basically, like if we think about our physical bodies, um, you know, like we need food, right? Mm-hmm. Like actual food to to satisfy the hunger that we have and food is fuel for our bodies and um, our skin also. Um, there's a concept of skin hunger and it talks about how our bodies actually need physical touch Mm -hmm. and that when we don't receive um, physical touch in the way that we need it. And so this is, we're just talking about platonic touch, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So if we're not receiving physical touch uh, on a consistent Mm -hmm. basis or, you know, at the level that we each need it individually, then um, there are lots of different, like, health things that we can experience so um it talks about one of course loneliness can be something that if people aren't being touched by other people and this is like it could be holding your hand or someone rubbing your shoulder or doesn't have to be as intricate as officially um like engaging in a professional cuddling session but just receiving that type of touch um you know, our stress levels can increase and, um, our experiences of depression can increase and just overall loneliness, because if we're not receiving that touch, then it does probably speak to our communities, um, our community connections and, or our interpersonal connections. Um, so lots of things like that. Um, it talks about how we could possibly possibly lead to people um experiencing anxiety disorders or um decreasing people's immune functioning so immune deficiency and different things like that so uh, those are some of the possibilities that a person might experience if they're not receiving touch on a um consistent or regular basis you know are they go very long periods of time without receiving touch or they're experiencing what we talk about it's called skin hunger or being touch deprived
0: yeah thank you so much for for sharing that and breaking it down like that so I know it's also has and you you did talk about the some of the benefits but on the brain when someone is being touched platonically what happens to the brain can you tell us a little bit about that
1: Okay, so I'm not the best with <laughs> like brain stuff, but um overall, we know that um when we are experiencing touch, hormones are being released, mm-hmm. and so one of the most important ones that we talk about in touch is um oxytocin, mm-hmm. and so some people talk about oxytocin being the like the love hormone yeah. um or when they think about i think a lot of times it. People may recognize it when they talk about like mothers and their children mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and you know that particular hormone that's released um, and so oxytocin is really important and it's it is released when people receive touch um, from each other and so um, understanding that you know the impact that that release of that hormone uh, coming out into the body and it helps to Do all of those positive things we were talking about earlier related to um, like a boost in your immune system. And we know that when the immune system is healthier, it's boosted, then that helps to decrease possibilities of um, those negative things that can come when we have a lowered immune system. Also, um, helping to decrease uh, stress hormones, particularly we talk about like cortisol. So we know when we're stressed, our bodies release cortisol. And so Mm When we're receiving touch, and again, there there are um, nuances to this, right? Like not just any touch, but um, a touch that feels comforting and that feels safe, right? So that's important because there are different types of touch, mm-hmm. and so a touch from someone that you feel safe with, or a touch that feels safe um, and feels comforting, um, then those types of touches that uh, can help to release, help to um, lower people's cortisol that may be released under stressful conditions. So that's another thing that's really important.
0: Yeah. Well thank you so much. So in your mission, um, you talk about decolonizing um non-sexual intimate touch. Um, you know, and I, I noticed there's a you know, you're very specific to black bodies. What are some trends you notice in in our community when it comes to to touch, platonic non sexual touch?
1: Um, so a part of me may be generalizing here because I don't have, um, like statistical numbers in mm-hmm. front of me, but I would say based on experiences I've had. And so I'm moving a, in a few different spaces. Yeah. I, I'm in, um, you know, so I'm finishing my degree. So I'm like in academic spaces and psychology spaces. And then I, um have a particular interest in sexuality work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like in sex ed spaces, like academic and then non-academic um, uh, sexuality spaces where people are doing sex education, sex mm-hmm. coaching, sex work, that types of things. those types of things. So in between moving like in those different spaces and being in community with folks and um, working with uh, teachers who are doing sex education work, um, uh, academic sex education work and non non traditional, non academic sex education work. Um, being able to be in those spaces, the things that we see, and so like I guess it would be more the qualitative, the qualitative mm-hmm. pieces that we're hearing that we're seeing, is that there is overall in our I would say our society um, and communities there is this um, mismatch with the uh understanding of I don't to say the understanding of, but there's a mismatch in like um touch. Yeah. I guess. So a lot of times people feel what we see, what we see, what we hear, um, you know, in, in stories that people share, their experiences that people share. Um a lot of times people feel as though uh, when you engage with in touch, uh, between persons or with someone that has sexual undertones,
0: Absolutely.
1: and when um, we look at our at the larger society, we can see that playing out there. Also, there's not often, there's not often um, a lot of um trying to find the right words for it. There's like not often a lot of talk about or um normalizing of non-sexual touch. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really important in in mm-hmm. in our communities also. Um recognizing that people can often feel I I, I share like yeah, it's that's unusual for me right and we ask people questions so like you mentioned like there are people that you've spoken with or that have heard when you've talked to them about cuddling. they're like oh that's that's a little weird right and so that's not unusual to hear that people are like oh you cuddle someone and that so you're that that's like a sexual thing right (laughs) we're like no it's not a sexual thing Mm -hmm. and people are aghast aghast. And when we're like, no, it's not, they're like, wait, cause if I cuddle with someone then that means that, so, you yes. know, something sexual mm-hmm. is about to happen. And we're like, no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cause you, things. you like many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like many of us have just um, conflated touch with um, sexual expression. Yeah. And so we, you know, sex positive. We believe that consensual sexual t- touch amongst um uh, consenting adults mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I'll even say, uh, consent consenting sexual touch amongst consenting teenagers mm-hmm. <laughs> can be also, you know, age appropriate. Right. Yes. So yes,
0: um, <laughs> over age of consent,
1: <laughs> yeah, age yeah. Of consent as long mm-hmm. as the people are consenting and, you know, um, but That does not mean that, so we're all for that too. And we also recognize that people should be able to receive platonic touch at times. Mm -hmm. People don't always necessarily want to receive sexual touch or want to feel that the touch they're receiving is sexual because there is a different need that is met Mm -hmm. when we're able to receive non-sexual touch.
0: Thank you for that. I, I love how you just, you know refine that and as you talked about that I'm thinking you know I was wondering for you um seeing that you are I wonder if you will always that 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 way um because I know for me and my family um we might do the little pat hugs where you pat the person on the back um my mother still does that with me I would go in for like a deep hug because I mean I I don't see her very often you know I'm an immigrant so I travel back home every couple years so I usually go in for a deep hug and she does the the path back thing and I always look at it like you know is she struggling with the idea of touch? Like, you know, because it's not common for us to like hug each other. Now my husband's family is different, he's Hispanic and hugging and kissing, that's just something you do naturally. But when I go to my family, it's like the total opposite. Like no one's wanting to do that in a way where it's like a big hug and we're just touching each other or hugging each other. So I wonder for you, like growing up, Was it anything like that? Or did you have the family that embraced hugging and, you know, closeness?
1: So I, I feel like, and I don't know if this would be my family's perception. And so as I've gotten older and as I return home, you know, for uh, like family gatherings and stuff, and when I got into this work. I recognize that, too. My family sounds similar to, like, how you describe your family and, like, your mom. Mm-hmm. I noticed, like, I'll be like, oh, I haven't seen you all in, like, a year. Like, we might talk, right? Like, we text or we have phone calls, but, like, actually be in each other's face. It might be, like, six months or it might be, like, a year. And I'm like, okay, going in for, like, hugs and lots of my family members will give those really short, like, pat hug, And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> that was, like, five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. And I think I've gotten very spoiled because the community that I've built, especially when I moved um, to Atlanta, I've been getting connected to more people um, who were doing similar work, uh, are wanting to do similar work, and people like in, in some of my like, sexuality ed spaces. Mm-hmm. And because I kind of out of that space too, a lot of those people recognize, like, oh, there's, there's work that we also need to do over here, cultivating the non sexual piece, like we teach about you know, sex education and how to have pleasure and why that's important for us. And, but also there's this piece too. And so all of my friends, all of my folks in my community, like in Atlanta, they are like we hug each other for probably like a minute to two to three minutes to the point where people, you know, outside people begin to get uncomfortable. When I brought new people in, I was like, so my friends are huggers. (laughs) And they'll be like, okay, what? Cause they'll, they'll have met me and they'll be like, okay, you're a hugger. So what? And I was like, my friends are like, you're going to get, and they'll be like, after they meet them, they'll be like, oh, I see what you mean. (laughs) And it's not, it's not just like, it's, we can meet, three times a week. And every time we meet, we're going to hug each other
0: like Mm -hmm.
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But my family definitely, and I don't, they're, we have a reunion this year, so I'll have to see. Um, I've been trying to hold people longer and I'll see how people (laughs) respond. There might be a few, a few that do a longer hold, but for the most part, there's some I definitely recognize. I was like, oh gosh, I haven't seen you in like a year or two years like in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And it was just this really quick hug, you know, but I know they love me. We we express that. And I was like, oh man, it's just so interesting like seeing it, you know, in your own space with your folks after you've experienced something different Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: Yeah. I have just been and I think especially now because you know I I grew up I mean I didn't hear I love you very often I mean I knew there was a love there but there wasn't a lot of affection and um it took me um in the first time I actually heard that from someone was my, my ex's um, mother. We had a very close relationship and she would say it. And then I started saying it more to the people I love, not just my intimate partner. And even that too, like, if I tell my mother, I love her, like she would really struggle with her response. (laughs) And, um, I've been really trying to normalize saying it, they would say something like love always or something like that. I think it's easier to say, (laughs) but, um, even that I noticed, like we struggle with, you know, it's just, I'm just curious sometimes to figure out why, why is it like that? Like, why why can't we say it? <laughs> I wonder is that something you see as well?
1: Um, with saying love you, yeah, like I love you.
0: Even that. Mm-hmm. Um
1: mm-hmm. so in my uh, like specifically for my family, I I don't think so. Okay. But I can't I don't know if it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like I don't know if like for you, if this is the same thing, but there was so much I was unaware of when I was younger and I'm not like older. I mean, I'm older, but I'm not like old, right. Whatever that means. Cause I like you to get older. I always feel like there's a higher bar set for, Oh, I don't even know when I'm like 90. I don't know. If I'm <laughs> old. But, um, so, but there was, I recognize in my life at this stage that when I look back, being younger there was so much I wasn't aware of yeah. like like when you were asking about the the hugging and stuff I'm not sure when I noticed that there was a difference mm-hmm. like in how my family hugged. because at one point it felt you know like oh this is how we hug and I didn't notice but then more recently it was like oh I feel like the, the hugs aren't as long
0: yeah.
1: um and so the I love you piece I'm not certain I'm not certain if we've always you know said I mm-hmm. love you I feel like we have
0: okay.
1: um kind of short I think it's always kind of like I love you I don't know if it's since I've gotten older and I say it more now yeah. um that that has become something that you know I try to say in closing when I get off the phone with people on that that's the response that we get also
0: yeah I just know in our communities some of those things have become it's quite the norm and i was just wondering if it's different because I'm from the Caribbean and I I think for some of us it's <laughs> it's just. Um, You know, there's just no existence of affection. It seems like um, survival is usually the primary um, objective or the goal. Um, And whatever happens once you get it, you know, once you get to 18, um, you go out in the world and (laughs) figure it all out. Um, But that's kind of how it was but let's, let's get back to touch. But I, I know like these things go together, right? But let's get back to, to touch. And, and I wonder if you could break down the idea of return to touch. And I think that does tie into the decolonizing piece. So I wonder, how would you describe that for someone who is, um, just listening and wondering, well, what does that mean?
1: uh uh-huh. Um, when I think about return to touch mm-hmm. and and so I'll preface this with <laughs> I know that's a part of our um a part of the program but I'm I'm um co-creating mm-hmm. with some other wonderful ladies. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm I'm not gonna say this is like the official <laughs> the official definition mm-hmm. of it. But what comes up for me Um, When I'm thinking about returning to touch, is how I feel as though we've gotten away from connecting with people in that way. Mm -hmm. We've there are so many um, there are so many wonderful um, benefits to the age that we are currently in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technology at our fingertips, we can connect with people around the world much easier than we have been able to do in the past. I have friends in multiple time zones and we can all schedule a time to talk together and co-work together. Um, I am able to do this interview with you right now and we are in two different states, mm-hmm. right? So technology you know, I can see what's going on on the other side of the world in real time pretty much at any time that I want to. Um, So technology is amazing. And I think that a part of that um, amazing connection we have through technology gives us a false sense of connection Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And so thinking about retiring to touch um, is like a reminder for us to understand the importance of community, like real life community. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have... I. Because of technology, I'm able to stay connected and I have like an expansive community that I probably would never have had before in my life. Right. Which is wonderful, especially in this time where we are still in the midst of this pandemic that just hit us like last year. And so it's beautiful that we can do. I can do family Zoom calls, usually talking to my aunts and my um, uncles and stuff. I would see them maybe in person because they live in multiple states. And my mother, my mother's a baby of 12. And Mm. so her elder siblings are in their 70s and 80s. And so I might see them once every two years in person. Right. Because we all live in different states and when we come together for like family gatherings. But With the advent of technology, I can see them once a month Mm -hmm. on a Zoom call Mm -hmm. and we're all talking to each other and keeping up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Even especially in a time we can't physically it's not physically safe for all of us to be around each other. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about uh, social media and the communities and stuff like that, it can also be. It can also become a, a way for people to feel like they're connected, but they're not really connected. They don't have real communities. Mm -hmm. They get lost in the online piece Mm -hmm. and and forget that they need to connect outside of this um this technology that we have. And I I think I have been blessed to grow up in the time that I grew up in because I a lot of my most of my childhood it wasn't wasn't really until I was in college that technology began to kick off the way that it did. Mm -hmm. So Facebook didn't kick off until I was in college. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I was one of the, I had a Facebook account when you still had to have a college College email. email.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was (laughs) me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so a lot of these others. So I, I, and I, you know, I don't know what the research may say about that. If there's a generational thing or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I definitely do value in person and I'm a person who deals with anxiety, but Mm I, I value in person. Mm -hmm in-person connection and community and most of the people around me do too we like to be able to have the the internet and social media Mm -hmm. and we love to have our in-person community and connection Mm -hmm. and so I think returning to touch when I think about that that's a really important part for us to get to get back into person and actually returning to like touching um Mm -hmm. and in a non-
0: Non-sexual. Emphasizing the
1: non-sexual yes. way. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And the importance of that. And as you talk about it, I'm like, we're touching screens all day long. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're just touching screens and um, just being able to touch another person consensually, um, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is, is quite healing. You also talk about uh, liberating bodies, healing oppression, and um, self path to liberation. Can you speak a little to that?
1: hmm so um particularly like these ideas come from I'm like I mentioned before I'm in the process of uh, co-creating mm-hmm. a um a cuddling program yeah. a, tr- a certification program okay. with um some other amazing women I saw who that are, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah who are in this work um they are Coaches and healers, and um, you know, sisters and aunts and moms, and all of those wonderful things. And they're doing um, a great amount of work in the world to educators, all this stuff. And so, we've come together to create this program a certification program for people who would like to move into the space of being professional cuddlers. Our program uh, has intentionally. Um, we are all uh, black women mm-hmm. and our program has been intentionally uh, specifically created and we're crafting it to focus on um, black and brown folks and black and, and brown bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. And so as we because all of us also um, very much align with the importance of healing for black and brown folks, mm-hmm. uh, folks of color. And um, we talk about the liberating our bodies parts. Um, a lot of our work. In a lot of our work, we all talk about um, the impact of trauma, the impact of historical trauma, ancestral trauma upon black and brown folks um, in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And liberating our bodies is a part of the work where we talk about um, understanding how uh, understanding how this society and how white supremacy and how patriarchy and how systemic oppression and how systemic racism and all of these um different systems have impacted our bodies and continue to hold us captive and so we have to intentionally do work to reclaim um our agency over our bodies yeah. and then also to do healing work to release the things that um we have inherited mm-hmm. because we, we also we know about uh, if you look at trauma and you look yeah. at the research and you look at epigenetics mm-hmm. and you understand um, the research um, the research and people's lived experiences continues to show that trauma is passed down throughout generations yeah. and that we hold on to things um, trauma doesn't just happen to us one time when, when it happens, it, and it, it happens on all levels. So it happens to, um, it impacts us mentally it impacts us emotionally impacts us physically. So the trauma is also held within our body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so liberating our bodies really talks about that. It talks about how, um, how it's important for us to recognize that and then how we, we the things we need to do to be able to to uh, free ourselves and our bodies, like our physical bodies from that bondage that has happened as a result of the trauma, the oppression, um, yeah. the other things, that, and this stuff becomes encoded within our bodies. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for breaking that down. And as you talk about um, all of this, you know, I'm wondering... So for someone who doesn't know what that looks like, okay. So how how the, is the service provided? What measures are taken for safety? I wonder if you can share a little bit about just the behind the scenes or what it looks like when when that service is being provided.
1: Um. So like when you're when you're engaging in like yeah professional cuddling. cuddling. Mm-hmm. Mhm, um, so you know that will vary depending on the practitioner, right mm-hmm. um and everyone will determine what works best for them. Some people will host um like cuddling group events
0: oh I saw cuddling where parties? They may, um parties, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, so they may have they may hold um parties where they are bringing in a group of people. And they're going to offer a space where people can engage in cuddling. And so um, everyone will have their own flavor to it, but they they will potentially look at creating the space. And um, they may have a way that they choose to screen their participants, like the people they allow to come in. Mm-hmm. It may just be people within their intimate community. Yeah. So it might be like... You and a group of friends, people that you already know. Mm-hmm. You know, you're already you already have that connection with them, and so y'all may just decide, hey, once a month we're going to get together and we're going to have like a a little kind of party together, mm-hmm. right? Um, for people who are doing it maybe in a professional sense, they may decide like, oh, I want to host these events monthly or or biweekly for uh, some people in my community, and they may work to build a community where they allow people in, and um, then they're they're holding the space and they may have other things that go along with the events mm-hmm. that they're having. Right. So they might do like a educational piece. Um, and the people come in, they may have different themes and different topics to talk about. Um, and then they may have a space open for a couple hours where people, um, engage in cuddling with each other, uh, for the individual person who, you know, practitioner that might be offering individual sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, again, they may have a, uh, a way that they are screening their participants. So I think about it, I think also coming out of, um, you know, out of my, my training as a therapist, that framework. So we do like an intake session, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, so figuring out how you advertise or whatever. Mm-hmm. People find you, they reach out to you. You're like, okay, so we can do a con- like a consultation. Mm-hmm. You talk to the person to get an idea of what's going on, what they're seeking services for. Then you do like an intake and you see like, okay, what's going on? How can I support you? Um, do I feel like I'm going to be a good fit for you? Do I feel like, you know, you're going to be a good fit for me? And then if we decide to move forward, yeah, we can move forward and we can determine uh, how we're going to do this work together. Some people may work with their clients in their clients' homes, okay. right? So they may not have um, a space that they set up, but they may work with their clients in their clients' homes. Some people have office space that they rent or they have like a space that they've created that the clients can come to them. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to work with the client in that space. And I think um, each person, again, determining the intention for the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, how many sessions maybe. So I think, again, within the framework of like therapy. Mm-hmm. So when a client comes in and they have a certain presenting issue, right, we determine like, oh, OK, you're dealing with anxiety. Maybe it's around a specific thing. Maybe it's more generalized mm-hmm. and about how many sessions do we think we'll work together, maybe like six to eight. Yeah. And then at that time, we, you know, we hit that eighth session Then we'll sit down and we'll see, how things are for you right now. Mm-hmm. Do we think we need to add some additional sessions or do we think it's a good time for us to terminate? Yeah. Um, and I think, again, there's so many different factors that will play into mm-hmm. that for a person that the individual practitioner will, um, you know, they'll be able to figure out, um, what works best for them in, uh, supporting their clients and determining, uh, how often they may work with someone individually, uh, if they're doing group like group sessions, if they do more education. Mm-hmm. So at this point right now, I'm not doing as much, um, speaking about me personally, I'm not doing as much individual um, individual sessions. Mm-hmm. What I've done a lot of over the past couple of years, I've been doing more educational okay. work. So I will do presentations at conferences. Nice. And so I'll, I'll hold space at conferences. I'll talk about cuddling, the importance of cuddling. Um, and depending on what particular theme I might have decided to focus on uh, for that particular workshop, I usually also have an interactive piece where we are engaging in some some level of cuddling or touch right, with the participants there. But I've done a lot more of that in the past few years than I have done individual sessions with clients.
0: And as you talk about that, I know there are different ways... Um... Lots of different ways to cuddle. Uh, do you have any suggestions? So maybe for our listeners, whether or not they're going to use this service, but if they're with someone, um, are there certain positions for particular things that are coming up? Or is it just whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever preference? I know a lot of people are familiar with spooning and, and there are other things that maybe we don't have names for. So I wonder if, if you do any education on that.
1: Yeah, we definitely do. And in our um in our uh training program that we're we're um working on, we'll talk specifically about different types of um there are different positions, there are lots of different positions, right? Um, that people can utilize and I think an important part again, like the nuances of it, an important part will come in one um depending on the individual. So, it will depend on the client, uh, what they're desiring. It will depend on the practitioner um, and the client's uh, ability level also, right? And so, it'll depend also on folks' body sizes and all those different things, because there might be some movements that feel more comfortable for people, depending on... um, abilities that they have in different parts of their bodies or if they deal with any type of pain and the same goes for the practitioner and so i think um, you know that would be a very specific thing that comes up as the practitioner and client uh, as they spend time getting to know each other and then talking about like what what each person's needs are um, and then determining like okay well maybe say so is a really common one that most of us know So um, if the person is like, like say, if the client is like, oh, yeah, I really like spooning and I like being the little spoon or the big spoon. And then, you know, again, thinking about the client and the practitioner's uh, level of physical ability, then they will have to determine like, okay, which what way can we do this? Right. Um, If they don't have any physical ability concerns, then maybe they're able to um, do what we may traditionally consider like a regular when you've seen pictures of people spooning. But if there are some ability the physical ability concerns or other ability concerns, and they may have to figure out a way to make some adjustments, you know, so that they can, the client can receive what they need out of the session. But then both people are also comfortable, you know, in the way that they're able to adjust their bodies and things like that. So um, it'll definitely be dependent upon the two people mm-hmm. who are involved like within the cuddling and and how they're able to fit together.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And one of the things I also noticed, so last year when I came across the, I came across another cuddle company and I noticed like the rates, the rates go up for like conversation for different things. So is that, is that like normal? Like, I mean, if someone was needing maybe something like cuddling and talking about something else, like, or do some problem talk or venting (laughs) is that do you build separately for these things?
1: So I think for, um, that's, that's different, I guess, depending upon each practitioner. So I can speak about specifically when I, um, when I was working with my partner, when I started my, my cuddling company, my mm-hmm. partner and I, we had rates that we determined we would utilize. So we had a cuddling and companionship company. Okay. And so we not only offer cuddling services, but we also offer companionship services. So there were different things that we had determined that people may need a companion to support them in. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause everyone doesn't have community or doesn't yes. have family. Mm-hmm. So we, um, the two of us sat down and we walked through each of those different services and determined what we felt like would be a reasonable fee um, to charge people for those services. Yeah. Uh, and so I know that I've seen different cuddle companies and different um, like independent cuddlers um, that work out there that exist. And so I think each person just kind of determines what what works best mm-hmm. for them. Um, and so for me, like for me personally, because I am a therapist, I separate the two. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm very clear when clients have reached out to me in the past and they've shown interest in doing cuddling work. Um, that if they, because I, I'm like out on the internet, right? So you may find me in one place and it's like, oh, she's a therapist. You may find me in another place and yeah. it's talking about <laughs> coaching. I do sexuality empowerment coaching, but that's separate from my therapy. Yeah. And then you may find my work with cuddling and so determining what the person is seeking Mm -hmm. um and then letting them know like okay we can definitely work together uh cuddling and if you're going to be needing therapy or you're looking at therapy or coaching then i at the time when i had my business my partner and i would we would um we would rotate so if a client was like i think i'm going to need coaching i'm interested in therapy like okay so for me just to keep the lines clear for myself Mm -hmm. then um, I will connect you with my partner so she can be the one who does the cuddling work with you and I can do this other work yes, with you like and so that. for me so there's no you know boundary no crossing and everything issues. like that. <laughs> yeah I separate those two and so I'm not sure what uh, um you know cut other colors out there that might be offering some type of talk service it might not be therapy it might just yeah be, I don't think it's know, therapy I think it's out. just
0: random not random but you know, yeah, <laughs> you can be there and not like, talk. We talk.
1: We can talk and yeah, or we can, we can not talk. I've always told clients that I'm like, oh, you can talk to me. And so when I work with clients, I have to like, you, we can be completely silent this whole hour. Are you, if you feel like you want to talk, you can talk. I was like, don't feel obligated, like, just because I'm here that you have to talk. And I've had that. I equate it to, like, when I've gone to massage therapy yeah. before. sometimes I feel like this person is working on my body. I should be having a conversation. But yeah. sometimes I'm just like quiet and I fall asleep. Oh, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> me. I, I just get into the zone and I'd rather not be talked to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just know there's so many ways. Um to go about it, and um, thank you for sharing and breaking that down um, for the listeners, for anyone who might be interested in the service. Um, anything else um, you wanted to maybe share on on your business in particular
1: um, uh, well we are current like I said I am currently working with a group of um, an, a group of black women um, let's see, I'm trying to think of most concise way. So (laughs) the Atlanta Institute of Tantra, Mm -hmm. um, I am working with several black women who are connected with the Institute. I'm also connected with the Institute and we are creating a, um, we have created and we're finalizing a new certification program specifically designed for, um, black folks, folks of color, um, become certified in cuddling about being cuddling therapists and starting their Mm -hmm. their own cuddling businesses and so um y'all can find us on instagram (laughs) and facebook and the the name of this particular endeavor is called cuddle sage or cuddle sage
0: (laughs) i say cuddle sage
1: yeah you can pronounce it both ways but you can find us on instagram on facebook um we are rolling that out. We're actually open for pre-registration right now and we'll be launching the class in the next, um, two months and it'll be our first cycle of the class. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're just really excited about that. Really excited that we all finally have the opportunity to come together and to create this because we definitely know that, um, this work is needed and we definitely think that there needs to be more black and brown people doing this work. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I I just keep going back to the day when um, this one person had commented in the, the group, <laughs> the Clinicians of Color group. And then I saw your response and I was like, wow, um, let me jump at you because this has been something that I've also been interested in just sharing on the platform because I know there are people who, who need this. You know, I know persons who have been Single uh, for a very long time, and and I think that's a great way to just get that touch and, and connect with someone, um, you know, outside of sexual, you know, intentions. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. And I wonder um, what else might you be doing um, in terms of certification. I know you're in school, right? But where do you get inspiration from? <laughs> what are you reading? Do you do any podcasting or anything like that?
1: I don't. I would love to do podcasting, but I... (laughs) <laughs> i don't that's why like when i say do podcasts i mean listen to podcasts okay. i would love to i just don't feel like i, I have to, i have so many books i'm looking at right now every time someone mentions a new book i go and order it oh my goodness and that's, that's I, me. Have, <laughs> I have all these books i'm looking at now that i have i've began kind of skimming through but i haven't had time to sit down and read because like you said i am in school and my internship it's 40 hours a week um so that you know i'm seeing clients all week and doing mm-hmm groups and everything like that so that takes up so much of my time and I am completing a dissertation which I must have finished in the next few months so that takes yeah. up my other time <laughs> and yeah so um something recently that has inspired me I I don't even I feel like I have, most people I follow on like online like on social media they they are inspirational to me mm-hmm. um, so uh, right now, decolonizing therapy, Atlanta Institute of Tantra, like these are people who pop up on my um my Instagram feed daily, um, yeah. So yeah, talking about sexuality or talking about uh the work around decolonizing um. Therapy, psychotherapy, counseling, psychology—like those things really are grabbing me because I'm, as I am a psychologist in training, and I'm trying to figure out where I fit within the system. And then also, you know, because I have my own experiences and beliefs around like all of the oppressive stuff that we're experiencing, uh, systemic oppression, all those different things. It's like, okay, so how as a practitioner do I do my, do I all the things I've been trained to do, and then how do I ethically move and do this work because I, I want it to come from a place that is healing for people mm-hmm. and not causing harm. And so I've been introduced in the past two years to this concept of decolonizing mental health yeah. and psychology. Um, and I've had some trainings with people, Shauna Murray Brown. Um, I did her, her training. She has a liberation framework and I'm a part of that community. Yes. And then I recently discovered um, Dr. Jennifer Mullen on, on instagram decolonizing uh therapy mm-hmm. and i really love her work too and i think she's um creating some more things and maybe coming up with some training programs dr joy DeGru mm-hmm. love her she was a major inspiration for my work yeah. um post-traumatic slave syndrome i got introduced to her work when i first started my doctorate program mm-hmm. and that that changed my trajectory greatly. I just actually completed a class with her earlier this year and mm-hmm. the last year uh, she offers a class like in the spring and in the fall. So I was able to do that class. Yes. Um, yeah, so those people and then all uh, my, my sex ed folks, um, <laughs> Sex Down South is a major conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been around for seven years in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. It's created by two black women. Uh, wanting to have more spaces for uh, folks of color, um, people along the gender spectrum, because most sexuality spaces and conferences are for, they are white spaces, mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of white folks. And so they created this conference and it is amazing, amazing conference. And I'm a part of the crew that works with that conference every year. And so we'll be back in person uh, this year for the first time. Cause last year we, we had to readjust and we went hybrid this year. Um, we went virtual this year. We'll be hybrid. So we'll be online and in person. Nice. And so that they inspire me too. um, yeah, just all my, all my black and Brown sex educators that I follow online and, um, all my spiritual folks that I follow and, Uh, yeah, just, so I guess all those things, but nothing specifically
0: right now. (laughs) You just mentioned some really great resources and I wasn't even aware of some of those, um, some of those, um, organizations and and pages. So I will definitely, um, put that in the show notes and I'll also give them a follow. I think, um, you know, just the mission, I, I get it. And I think it's needed. And when you talk about these white spaces, yeah, I'm just thinking of all the things that we can bring to therapy that oftentimes, um, <laughs> you know, is this, you know, has this been research and all of that. But, um, you know, I, I like that we bring so much to this space and our clients can benefit from all different modalities of of healing. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I like to ask, because, um, you know, I know you are doing workshops and trainings, um, but for someone who's wanting to pursue a career path similar to yours, uh, what would you advise them?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> uh, my first question is which which career right. path? I- <laughs> so maybe
0: a therapy. So I wonder for you, did you always know that okay. you wanted to be a therapist and also maybe Um, you've shared already on, on cuddling, but for therapy, um, and your particular specialization, how would you guide someone who wanted to follow your path?
1: So I am in an interesting place also with therapy. So (laughs) I will tell you that, um, I, (laughs) okay, I'm laughing because all the thoughts that are coming to my head feels just very little controversial or whatever. Um, when I was a little girl, I I knew of lawyers and doctors, right? You you hear about those in school. Yeah. so in my mind, I was like, oh, lawyers and doctors make a lot of money. <laughs> As an adult, I realized it's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I was little, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a doctor no matter what I do, right? Um, and so when I went to school, I, I love to read, I've loved to read all my life. If I get paid to read or watch movies, that's probably what I would do additionally. <laughs> um But I was an English major, and then uh, people kept saying, are you going to be a teacher? And I was like, no, I don't want to teach anyone's children. Like, I I could just imagine being a grade school teacher. I was like, that's not for me. So I ended up, um, took a psychology course. The teacher was, the professor was amazing. I loved it. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'd always been interested in people and helping them. Wanted to help people and figure out, like, figure out myself. Yeah. And then wanting to like, like, how can I help people? Mm-hmm. Why don't we do the things that we do? Like, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna get my doctorate in psychology. I also was very heavily, heavily influenced by Ian mm. Um I, <laughs> she can be very, I know. for people in our, in our field, uh, therapists, uh, there's either love or hate of her.
0: Nice. I've seen See.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've seen some of those mm-hmm. those responses. Yeah. And so for me,
0: yeah.
1: I will always I will always love Iyanla because I followed her work for many, many, many years. A long, long time ago. She used to have a show called Starting Over. Mm. Um, it was her and another life coach named Rhonda. And they women would come to a house and they would be with them for several weeks and they would work with them. Um, Iyanla has never said that she is a therapist. She's always said she's a spiritual coach. Um, I, when I saw that show, it was probably like early 2000s. Um, and I saw this black woman on TV doing this very powerful stuff that she was doing to help these women move through the healing process. I said, that's what I want to do. I said, so I know I want to help people in, in a non-traditional way. She wasn't sitting in the office and that's fine, right? She wasn't sitting in the office talking to people mm-hmm. like tradition. We've been yeah. shown there is. Mm-hmm. I was like I want to do that but the only thing I knew my educational path was okay you become a psychologist and you can work with people Mm -hmm. um but I knew I kind of wanted to work in that way and what was considered a non-traditional way I didn't realize at the time when I first got introduced to her that she was a coach um and that's what she was doing but I was like that's what I want to do I see this black woman helping people heal that's what I want to do and so I pursued my degree, you know, followed the doctorate path. And like, that's where we are today. But as I have been moving along the path, I I respect therapists. I respect psychology. I respect um, counselors, therapists at all levels, all designations, you know, no matter what, LMFT, LBC, Mm -hmm. all those. I think people are amazing. I don't necessarily know if therapy is for me. I feel like um, I like it and i don't know if i necessarily like moving in the space in the way that um uh, we've been trained to move in the space mm-hmm. and i'm still like the decolonizing piece is coming up mm-hmm. for me so a lot That's of what i'm sensing have connected to and i've been trained in i'm trying to figure out where i land with those mm-hmm. now um i've also been trained as a coach right so i'm um I went through a pretty intensive. I uh, found a really great coach training program, and I've been trained as a coach. And I don't honestly don't even know if I want to <laughs> operate as a coach. So I think in my bio you read the healing facilitator piece. Yeah. I've also been able to have the the opportunity to be in some spiritual spaces and spiritual communities mm-hmm. with people who do um, have been trained and do indigenous healing work. Yeah. And I feel like for me, there's going to be some integration of. These pieces. So I may not be working as a traditional psychologist. I may not be working as a coach, but I will be somehow creating spaces for black women that they can do their healing work. So um, and this is still unfolding because the sexuality part of my work is unfolding like, like all of that. And so for someone who is interested in pursuing <laughs> maybe a similar career mm-hmm. path, so I laugh because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that yeah. means for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's therapy, you know, I would just say uh, I had this conversation the other day. If get get the degree that you need to do the work you want to yeah. do. So when I was getting my master's degree, like I went in, I was I was um, unaware. I would say ignorant, unaware. So. Uh, I went master's and I got my doctorate and I thought like, oh, to do the things I wanna do, I have to have a doctorate. But when I was in my masters program, mm-hmm. there were people like my instructors that did every everything I want to I want to have a private practice. They did that. They did research. They wrote books. They traveled. I didn't realize that, you know, having your master's degree you could do that. I thought like, oh that's only something you could do at the doctorate level. Mm-hmm. But I found that at the master's level, I was like, oh, but I was already for me I was already on the track. Yeah. I was like, I want to get my doctorate. Um and so I can continue to pursue that, but figure out what degree you need to do what you want to mm-hmm. do and do that. Like uh, getting a doctorate is not, I wouldn't get a doctor just to say I'm a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. There's a lot, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. There's a lot of um, challenging experiences you may face in academia. Mm-hmm. And so just be aware, you know, um, but if that is what you want, go for it and do it and don't let anybody stop you and make sure you build your community around you. Having community, especially as a person from a marginalized identity Mm -hmm. or black or brown person across the gender spectrum, you will need a community. You may not find that community in your doctorate program. So find that community and they will help you get through it. But make sure you have them and you're deeply grounded.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for stating it like that. Um, and, and I too, when you talk about non-traditional therapy, um, I'm thinking of how many times I've looked up, um, adventure therapy and wilderness therapy. Um, those are things that I've been interested in, but I'm like, I'm not doing another certification. I'm not doing any more. I mean, I will do more. I mean, I'm in my sex therapy certification right now. I have a few months to go, but, um, I really don't want to take out anything intense. So maybe I'll yeah. do that in the next decade or so, but there's so many, yeah. so many paths you can take. And I love that you brought up so many different things. Um, Cause for each person, you know, that's going to look different. And um, you know, it, it all depends on your own values and the niche you want to work with and your own beliefs and all that. So thank you for sharing that. And I like highlighting the current piece because I think for a lot of us, um, and maybe not people who are our ages, but coming from college and trying to figure out a degree, I feel like a lot of those professions, you probably would not find that in the occupational outlook handbook, (laughs) and you probably wouldn't, um, get, you know, that information from anywhere. Right. So I love always highlighting career paths and the different things you can do, even if it started off with, with counseling. Um, mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing that. And you do work in the school settings. So I'm sure you go through a lot of career stuff. <laughs> does, that, does that come up a lot?
1: Yeah. Well, recently this year, so interesting. I think um, most of the students I've seen this past year mm-hmm. and it could be due to COVID and like the university I'm at, they've, they, you know, they had to go online. Mm-hmm. So primarily, so students are coming in, uh, a lot of anxiety, stress, yeah. depression, um, academic concerns because they switched from uh, in person yes. to online. Everybody's not an online learner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a lot of that, that's primarily what I've been seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, not really so many things. Most of the students I've that have been on my caseload, not so much related to career, but more of those, so lots of anxiety.
0: Yeah. Lots of anxiety. Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing a lot of that too um, with my adolescents. Yeah. Alrighty. So how can our listeners connect with you? If this resonates with someone, how can they reach out to you and Cuddle Sage?
1: So they can find Cuddle Sage on Instagram, on Facebook, um, at Cuddle Sage. They can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Instagram might be best at my name, so it's Shayla D. Tumbling. You can find me there. I don't post a lot on Instagram, but I'm on there a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so if people send me messages, I should be able to access them, uh, even though I don't post. Um, I don't post consistently on Instagram right now for myself. Um, I'm on Facebook. It, it's probably better to if you want to connect with me. Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook and uh, send me a message, but I also don't post or don't add a lot of people on there who aren't within my community. Mm-hmm. So, um, Instagram would probably be best
0: to connect okay. with
1: me on. And right now, also my, I also include
0: your website. I, yeah.
1: So yeah, I was going to say, I do have a website, but I need to launch it. So I, I have, um, a website that is still a work in progress. Like I, it's sitting there. I need to give my, <laughs> my designers some information. I just, I've been like hesitant on that. Like I have people who've designed the website for me and they're just waiting on me to launch it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know. I've been kind of hesitant. I need to give them some more information. So it's probably best to reach me on social media yeah. right now. But when my website launches, it'll be my name also. It's Shayla D. Okay. So I'll just try to keep everything consistent across all platforms.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay. righty. Well, thank you so much for being with us and sharing so much about cuddling and touch. Um, you know, I know usually we on the, on the podcast, we usually talk about Um, the sexual related topics but I love that this one is non-sexual and for persons who you know might be asexual or they might want a different type of touch I think um, you've provided lots of different options and and the ways for them to go with that so thank you so much And um, it was a pleasure having you.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on socials and leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can check out our new website at www.hersexualspace.com or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hersexual Space and Hersexual Space Podcast. Thanks again and I'll see you next time. Bye.